Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I'm excited. The weather is finally um, turning nice and starting to look a little bit like spring here. So I feel like my whole mood has has changed. I really uh, just getting outside and nicer weather is is giving me a little bit of um, hope that, that springtime is coming and, and better times are ahead. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. And I completely agree. We were just texting each other this week, earlier in the week when the weather was still crappy. And we both agreed that we felt like we had been hit by a truck. We were so tired and just so just some, our bodies were like aching. We were like, we're not even training for Boston this season. What is it? And we both kind of commented, it's the weather. And sure enough, like you just said, as soon as the weather got nicer this week, my body felt better and I suddenly don't feel like I've been hit by a truck. So maybe I've got a little bit of a seasonal affected disorder. <laughs> that or, we, you know, it's just like the end of the, not the, well, we hope it's the end, but you know, it's a year now hitting a, on a year um, of pandemic. Actually, my Facebook memories reminded me that a year ago right now we were um, in Lululemon, our, our, our um, ambassador photos that are up on the, on the walls there um, were revealed and we had a big reveal party. And that was really the last, um, the last gathering that we had before things were shut down. And so I was reminded this week that that, that was a year ago and the year feels so long and also so short in a kind of weird way. It just feels like, um, you know, thinking of, uh, pre-pandemic life and post-pandemic life and all that's happened in this past year. So, um, I, I do feel like we were kind of hitting the pandemic wall and that, that, you know, I, I likened it to, um, you know, like a marathon when you're in like mile 14 to 16, kind of in that where, you know, you still have a really, you feel like you've gone a really long way and you're starting to get tired and um, you're mentally starting to get worn down. And then you think, oh, but I still have like 10 or more than 10 miles to go. And you know, the end is there, but it just, um, that's what I, I felt like. It was like mile, like 16 of a marathon. So with the springtime coming and the weather um, changing and hopefully with um, vaccines starting to get into arms and things starting to look a little more optimistic. Um, I feel like we're starting around that corner and it, it did the, the weather, weather made a really big difference though too. So, so go I got to correct you though. We are not at mile 14 or 16. We're at mile 24. <laughs> okay. Well, I felt like last week I was at mile 14 or 16 because I couldn't see the end and, and it really, it felt like, I, I do have to say, you know, we, like you said, it feels like it, we should be closer, um, but especially here in Maryland with the vaccine rollout going so, so slowly, I, I feel like, uh, I mean, you know, for those of us who are young and healthy, which are, it's great, young, I'm using that in quotes, but younger than, you know, the priority groups right now and healthy, so not in any of the upcoming priority groups, I feel like it's it's going to be a long time before we get the, the vaccine. And, and that to me starts to feel like mile 24. So I feel like mile 24 is still a little um, ways away, but um, you know, but, but it's coming and, and we are kind of starting to look towards on the running front towards fall racing. And, um, you know, this week kind of a, a big announcement came out, uh, on, on the Boston marathon front, which has been postponed until October. If, if a, if an in-person event will happen, it will be in October that has not been decided yet. And, um, still, I think a lot of moving parts, um, but this week, Boston announced that they are going to open a virtual race limited limited to 70,000 registrants um for open to anybody to register so it's been uh it's been really interesting to watch the reactions of the running community and particularly the Boston Marathon 
running community, those who, who have run the Boston Marathon or qualified for the Boston Marathon, see the different reactions to that to that opportunity. Yeah, I was really surprised. I thought it was a fantastic idea on the part of the BAA because it, it you know, we always say with setbacks, there's opportunities. And what a great opportunity to allow people who ordinarily would not be able to access the Boston Marathon to have an opportunity to run it in their own way. My race, my rules, as Dave McGilvery says, and certainly it's not the same as running from Hopkinton to Boston at the race, but to even have the opportunity to participate in the virtual race. And it, I was so surprised by the number of people after the announcement this week that objected to it. Um, and I just thought to myself that phrase that, you know, me blowing out your candle isn't going to make my candle burn any brighter. Like, it's not going to diminish your accomplishment, dude, who's upset about, you know, someone running the Boston Marathon virtually in their hometown. It's not going to diminish your accomplishment of your BQ. And I just don't get it. I don't understand how at all it diminishes the, quote, prestige of the race by allowing people to run it virtually in their hometown, thereby creating a moneymaker for this, the struggling race, you know, races. And, and while the BAA certainly isn't struggling to the same degree as, as perhaps other races, they still have lost a lot of money this year. And allowing them the opportunity to have people participate in this and, and bring attention to the race and, and maybe allow more people to try and qualify cannot be a bad thing. So that's my soapbox. I completely agree with you. And I think we're, we're both on the same page with this. I, I think where it's coming from, and I'm trying to, um, as our, our, our upcoming guest is going to tell us and talk to us about putting ourselves in others' shoes. I think that um, particularly for people who worked really hard to qualify for Boston and didn't get to run it last year in person, it may feel like a little bit of a, you know, uh, you know, I, I again, it, I agree with you. It doesn't diminish any accomplishment that anyone has, but maybe it feels a little bit like, well, hey, why do other people get to run it when I worked so hard for years to qualify for Boston and then I didn't get to go? And um, it's as I like to tell the, my my kids, was well, sometimes when people have reactions or or act in a way that they don't think is particularly nice, I always say, well, it's really about something, you know, going on internally inside of them. So I think some of people who are against it are, you know, just feel uh, are, are probably upset. And, and stressed and 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 also anxious about what's going to happen with Boston moving forward. I know there's a lot of talk about okay, so you know, are the qualifying times that we've had if there is no in person this year, or or you know, what is the cutoff going to be this year? If there, Boston has pretty much that the BAA has pretty much said it's going to be in more limited field by necessity, even under the best circumstances, it will probably be limited um, to some extent. So now there's a lot of anxiety and stress over what does that mean? And all these people who did qualify for 2020 or 2021, are they going to be able to, to use that time? And what does it mean moving forward? So I'm completely with you. I think for this year, particularly when we can do this and we have that opportunity to um, to increase the profile of the Boston Marathon. That's great. I think if 70,000 people can actually feel like they were a part of the Boston Marathon, that's that's great. And it increases the profile of, of the marathon. And like you said, brings in some, some funds to the BAA, which has really been generous uh, with, you know, last year um, refunding entries. Uh, so um, charging a very low amount for the virtual last year. So the, the BA has been very generous. And if this gives people an opportunity to engage with the Boston Marathon and feel that excitement that we've felt for all of these years of getting to run it, I think it's great. So I think just, you know, I think some of the negativity is coming from people who are anxious and, and 
upset that they, you know, haven't had their opportunity yet to, to run that race. So different, different opinions. Yeah, absolutely. So this week we have an incredible guest. I'm really excited about this guest. Um, he is the RRCA president. His name is George Remit. And he has a really, he's a Renaissance man. He has an incredible story. And, um, you know, to our delight, he provided in the interview a lot of it, great nuggets of wisdom about how to turn setbacks into opportunity, how to overcome situations where you're injured in, in the mix of a conversation where we talked a lot about um, working on more inclusion and diversity in the running community. And I, I just thought it was a great conversation. So we're really looking forward to bringing that conversation to everyone. And um, what I really loved about George's story, and he talks about this a lot, is that he's been running for a really long time. He's been running for over 30 years. And his progress um, was because he committed to goals, he stuck with those goals, and he achieved those goals. And I really love that he's our president this year in, in this, as I said in the interview, shit show of a year, because he's going to do that as president. He's going to create goals, which he already has, commit to those goals and achieve those goals. And I can't imagine a better person to be leading the way um, at the RCA, but we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge, and I feel like we didn't talk about it enough in the interview, um, the people who are always leading the Roadrunners Club of America, and that is Jean Kanak and Randy Aceta. And Jean is the executive director, and Randy is the person who's in charge of all of the courses that allow all of us, including you and me, to be certified as our RCA coaches. And they have been doing these jobs for quite a long time. In fact, Randy took over that position after our, our beloved coach, who um, was my coach for many years, uh, Mike Broderick, was the person who used to teach the RRCA coaching courses. And of course, he passed away um, 10 years ago of lung cancer at a very young age. And he was a huge influence in my decision to become a coach and certainly made me a better runner. And I will always be grateful to him. And I think of him every time I run. And Randy took over his position in teaching the coaches how to coach. And so they've both been faced with a lot of unusual struggles this year. And so their um, wonderful leadership coupled with George's leadership, I just think is a game changer in the Roadrunners Club of America and the organization under which we coach and allows us to do the things we do because they provide us our insurance. And of course, the platform that allowed both of us to become coaches. So I just wanted to give a shout out to both Randy and Jean and thank them for all that they've done for us as coaches. Yep. And they, the RCA has had, uh, you know, as all organizations have this year, has had just a really big challenge of pivoting, uh, you know, to, you know, to the pandemic. And also, particularly this year, um, you know, the issues of uh, diversity inclusion have come up and, and specifically in the running community. So that has been a really, they've had some really big, big issues to face. So we talked we um, talked to George about a lot of those issues and, and how he's tackling those along with the other leadership in the RCA. And they are, they're, they're at the top of our, of our running community and guidance and leadership and examples come from the top down. So like you, I'm really glad he's in that position. So we're gonna turn it over to him in just a second. But before we do that, we have a contest winner to announce and we did our first um, UFOs contest last week. We asked, 
our listeners to leave a review and tag us and email us to enter the contest for a free pair of UFOs. Um, this, this month is a wild card pair. So uh, we will get uh, the winner's size and they are going to get a wild card pair of UFOs, but any of UFOs products, we love um, any sponsors that we have on our podcast are products that we believe in and we use ourselves and that we promote to our runners anyway. So this month's winner is Daniel Bridges and we will email Daniel and get his information, but he left a review, rated us five stars. Thank you, Daniel, and um, shared it to his group's running page. So we appreciate spreading the word. We appreciate your reviews. The reviews help us uh, get more visibility and more outreach to people who may be interested in our podcast. So we appreciate that. And congratulations, Daniel. We will reach out to you and stay tuned because we're going to have monthly contests for UFOs. So there'll be ways to enter each month. So you can look forward to that. And we thank UFOs for sponsoring us. Yeah. Thanks also to everyone who left reviews. We like, like Lisa just said, we so appreciate it. And um, particularly this week um, with those participating in the contest, we love hearing feedback about the podcast and um, guests that you'd like to hear. And we often encourage you to reach out to us at Julie and Lisa at runfarthernfaster.com. If you have a guest or you have any feedback that you'd like to provide to us, we're always trying to improve. And we, we love hearing your constructive feedback and, and being able to uh, better serve our listeners because we know we've been keeping a lot of you company through your runs and we're honored to be able to continue to do that. So without further ado, we are so excited to welcome George Remit to the podcast. Lisa, I hope you have a great week. You too, Julie. Enjoy the nice weather. Bye. Bye. Hey, listeners. Are you enjoying our podcasts and coaching advice? Do you feel like some guidance and accountability could help you stay motivated and focused during these uncertain pandemic times? We love connecting with our listeners and collaborating to make training work for your goals, your life, your personality. As a thank you for listening to our podcast, we want to offer any new clients $20 off the first month of coaching, which is normally $150. Email us at Julie and Lisa at runfartherandfaster.com to set up a time to connect over the phone to learn more. And be sure to mention this special offer as one of our loyal listeners. George Remit, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me on there, uh, Julie and Lisa. I'm looking forward to having a nice conversation with you. Yeah, so we wanted to kick it off by just um, introducing you. So we want to ask you first um, who you are, where you're from, uh, where you live now, and your profession, and a little bit about your family. Okay, so uh, first off, the reason why you invited me, um, I'm the president of the board for the Roadrunners Club of America, a national organization, uh, 62 years strong, uh, nonprofit goal is to promote long distance running. Uh, we just changed our mission statement to say empower all runners. And we'll talk a little bit more uh, about that. What I do on the board, along with other board members, we're all volunteers. Um, and what I do in real life is I'm a teacher um, for San Mateo County Office of Education, which is in the San Francisco Bay Area. I live in Daly City, which is the city just south of San Francisco. Uh, I get to enjoy all the perks of San Francisco, but don't have to deal with the politics. Um, I've been teaching close to 30 years. Um, where I teach, I teach kids from seventh to twelfth grade um, history, math, science, and I double as a 
special ed teacher. I teach in Ken Yokes Youth Center. It's a facility for kids with mental health issues. They live there. So um, I really enjoy it. Great staff there. Say hello, students, and hello, staff. So um, really enjoy what I do, um, get to know the kids. Uh, we have up to 12 students there, um, variety of issues. Sometimes it's just a matter of like hallucinations. We've sometimes kids with um, violent behaviors. And of course, unfortunately, we deal with kids who have been abused in different ways as well. And obviously we see, you know, deal with the damage that has, you know, been wrought on them. So, but it's a tough job. But it's a very uh, rewarding job as well because a lot of kids, uh, they've contacted me and say, hey, I've been doing well. And so, um, yeah, appreciate, you know, it's, I'm grateful for where I'm at. So <laughs> as parents of, of teenagers, Julie and I, between us have five teenagers. So in your age range of the kids that you teach and you reach, we want to thank you because we know, first of all, how hard this year has been. Um, and just as, you know, it was a profession itself, is such a, um, you know, such a rewarding and, and impactful profession, but this year especially. So thank you from, from parents to the teachers. Thanks, Lisa and Julie. I appreciate that. I mean, I was lucky because it's considered a healthcare facility. I was able to get go back in person uh, live before Thanksgiving. So um, I'll be honest, it was a challenge with Zoom and with kids with mental health issues. And even kids didn't, it's like, it's it's a challenge too. And, and I think as a teacher and of course as a parent too, got a 25 year old daughter. Um, so I know what it's like teenage years is I think just taking care of the social emotional needs is a high priority. The educational stuff, I mean, academic stuff that could come later. It's like, I've dealt with kids. It's like, yeah, they may have gotten their diploma, but then if they're not, if they're going to jail or worse, then it's a worthless diploma, you might say. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I'm going to veer off for a minute and talk about that because I think we have so many listeners who are parents who um, remain on Zoom, who worry about their kids in this pandemic. And of course, one of the worries we often hear publicly is not only about our kids' mental health, but that they'll be, and I'm putting this in quotes, left behind. And I think what you're pointing out right now is so important is that emotional health of our children is the number one factor and everything else will fall into place. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And also, if you have any advice for parents as their kids transition from Zoom back into the classroom, what advice do you have for um, parents in preparing their kids for that? Uh, I think going with, well, I used to work at a juvenile camp facility and I coached cross country. I want to tell you the story. And I had two students. They were the top, they were on rival gang members. One of them was very academically smart and he got his high school diploma, but eventually I found out he ended up in San Quentin. Other students, um, he was quiet. He struggled, great runner. Um, he, he dropped out of school, but when I last heard about him, he was working a job and I, I had talked to both boys and the one who didn't get his diploma, but is living a good life. You know, he got the better education. <clears throat> and so, um, I, so going, so, so my point is, is like academics, is not the whole thing, uh, because it'll eventually come back. There's a lifetime of doing it. I think, um, I think parents, we have to be careful about like, we obviously want the best for our kids. 
granted that, but I think we need to listen to our kids too. And we have to say, what's our needs versus our kids' needs, okay? And so I think we have to listen to our kids and sort of talk to them as well. And I think going back um, is just talk with the kids, check in. I think one of the things I've done as a parent, you know, my wife and I is like when with our daughters, like dinner, we turn off the TVs, cell phones and all that, just check in. And I think, I think that's why our daughter's doing pretty well, even though we may not see it for a good chunk of the day. Um, it's just, I would say have that quality time check in and not be distracted. I think, I think also just find some activities outside of, you know, the technology, the news and all that. And again, it's just check in, take, take your time because um, it's, it's a struggle. It's like for teenagers, social life is everything for teens. And so um, they're missing that. Um, of course, getting back, they'll say, wow, it's been a while. It's like, one of, you know, and, um, but also just be say, hey, be careful too. I mean, teenagers, their brain is like, if there's a chance of a reward, they're going to go for it. It's like uh, consequences. No, we also have to keep that in mind. Say, like, hey, be safe because we don't want to go back into lockdown again. That's an excellent point. And um, I love what you say too about, you know, just carving out that time and finding something to do outside of the electronics. And, I, and I'm reassured by the fact that you say the rest of the day you don't see her because that's how I feel like with my kids. You know, so much of the day you don't see them. They're up in their rooms or, you know, on their Zoom, they're whatever, you know, or they're talking to their friends and you don't see them. So having that, that, that time and, I think it's like with writing, as you get older, it's more like quality versus quantity. <laughs> right. <That's it. laughs> exactly. It's what you do with it, with the, with the time that you have. So, so talking, speaking about running and talking about running, tell us a little bit about your running background and how, how you got into running. <laughs> okay. It's, it's a bit of a funny story. So uh, I, growing up, I never ran until um, I got to high school. I was into skiing. You know, folks would take me up to nearby Lake Tahoe, which is like four hours east of San Francisco. And so first day of school, freshman, you know, you get beaten up by the sophomores. Well, roughed up, I would say. Uh, lose your check to buy your textbooks. And of course, you know, it's like, okay, what can I do that's positive? And then I hear in the announcement, cross country. They didn't say cross-country running, so cross-country, so I'm thinking skiing. So here I'm at school, San Francisco. Well, we're in San Francisco, but you know what? It's, it's let, let me check it out. Let's see, maybe they do have something like a machine or whatever. So I go into, you know, to the room, and then uh, I realize it's about running, but then I see, like, the sophomores who went to my school the year previously, and to be honest, they were like me. They were geeky, you might say, nerdy, you know. And so I was like, oh, okay. And they were friendly too. I think that was a big thing too. And so welcoming. And so I decided to go in. I'll be honest, first, second, came back the next day, ran too hard, sore, was vomiting off the bus for the next couple of days. Um, you know, in cross country, I finished near the last. But again, it was just welcoming, being supported. And uh, the following year, I finished sophomore year, you know, finished in the middle. Junior year, I finally made varsity to make the last meet. And then senior year, uh, you know, danced between varsity and junior varsity. But I did get awarded um, most inspirational runner. And I, th I think that meant a lot to me. And so uh, going to college then 
UC Berkeley or Cal. Uh, I was one that started, I didn't start, but I was one of the original members of the Cal triathlon team. And so that got me exposed to cross training. And then after that, um, I sort of like took the old school ways, like building up on distance. So like late eighties, half marathon, then did my first marathon, 91 San Francisco marathon. And then just, uh, kept it going. Of course, there's been period of times where I've been injured, had to take time off as well. So that's how I got into running. So I fell in it through a misunderstanding and I'm pretty grateful for that. <laughs> that's a really, really inspirational story. I think um, cross country is just such, it's one of the few sports where you aren't cut, but it's also one of the attrition rate in cross country is not very high for the reason you just said, when a kid finishes last these days, he or she feels like, well, I'm not good at this. I'm going to quit. Whereas really what the beauty of the sport is being able to, of course, and the beauty of running is, is being able to um, get faster and show your times and show your improvements. So I think that's a great story. And I would imagine you've shared that story with some of the kids you teach over the years, because it's, it's very inspiring. It's very inspiring. I think too, it's just to show, I think, um, grit. And I think one thing too, is like, have you ever gone to Olympics? I, or it's like, have you won a race? I said, no. And I just point out, it's like, I'm okay with that. It's like someone was just better than me and that's okay. And there's some things I can't control. And so I think I use uh, that as a life lesson. It's like, I think I get it. We all want to be in control of th something or we don't want negative something to happen. But I just point out, it's like, yeah, it didn't happen, but I'm still here and just move on. So what, what does your running look like these days? It sounds like you, well, okay, first of all, let's go back. What is your proudest running moment and what does your running look like these days? Sure. My proudest running moment would be breaking three hours at the Napa Valley Marathon in 1999. Um, and it took me eight years from running my first marathon, San Francisco Marathon in 1991. And basically the year before, um, in 98, my dad passed away, my grandmother too. Um, I got injured. And so um, the thing with Napa, um, it starts in Calistoga. And so that, so I used, my dad would take me there and, you know, to the spas, I would bike, uh, and of course later on run around there too. And so like, so when I was running the marathon, you know, it was like halfway, it's like 30 seconds behind pace. And then like at mile 20, you know, I had the second energy usually hit the wall and I, I think it was my dad's presence or something. And, uh, you know, and then I saw the finish line sprinted in and I, like, it was like working on it for so long, like eight years, I had achieved other time goals for other distances. Like, for example, like, uh, a few years before I was able to break seven hours for a 50 mile race. And so it's like to do that for a marathon because only 2% of runners break three hours. I'd say that was my uh, proudest moment. Uh, what is my running looking like right now? Not much. Um, I'll be honest. Um, you know, with the pandemic, I did more running. I uh, just got an overuse injury on my foot. I'm just hiking right now. Um, I'm glad I'm a swimmer. So I've been doing a lot of open water swimming. Best part is, uh, you know, with the bay is where wets I, I wear a wetsuit i've been swimming in the bay and just uh different parts of it and having my little adventure there so cross training and i think at my age it's like it, it's a bummer 
but it's like, okay, well, I had my moments, but at least I'm able to swim. There's been periods of time I've broken my foot once, my leg, mountain biking, but at least I was able to still swim. And so lucky I still have that outlet. So it's like, you know, so that's, that's what I'm looking at right now. <laughs> so, but I'm just, I put it this way, taking the opportunity to slow down and just enjoy things. I think that's great. I think it must be hard though, too, to be um, in the running world, like your job, you know, or your side job it's in the running world with runners and being injured and not being able to run. At least you have that perspective of, like you said, you've had a ton of major accomplishments. Something I wanted just to point out too, is that a kind of consistent theme for you from high school and from your, you know, your marathon journey has been, you put in the work, it gets done. Um, you know, you, you put in the work and you progressed each time. Like you said, maybe you didn't make the Olympics or you didn't win a race, but you, you hit your goal. You, you know, it was, it's really, I, to me, that's something that running has taught me is that if you put in the work and you're, and you're consistent and you're patient that, that you can make progress. So, um, but I just thought it, you know, I, I think it might be, is it challenging for you to live in the running world and not be able to run? Uh, not really, because we do have uh, like one board member, he can no longer run. And in some ways, um, going back with goals, it's like I get people say, oh, I wish I could run a marathon. I say, hey, what, what's, what's your favorite distance? I say, they say 5K and you don't know, stick with it. As long as you're moving, that's the key thing. I think that's the beauty of the sport. You can make your own goals. And so for me, um, I think if you get injured, it's just adjust your goals basically. And so now it's just hiking. It's like, okay, let me, I was so happy to, like I've been doing vertical challenges, just like uh, hiking different peaks, for example. And so of course it helps. There's no races. So it's like, I'm not stressing out. I think I would have been more stressed if there's a race I had signed up for, but since there's none and uh, but just when we go back, um, you know, in some ways, I put it this way, coming back from injuries, well, at least I'll hang with people at the back of the pack. And so I get to know them better. And so that's the way I, I view it. It's like, um, you know, I'm going to be with a different group of people. I love that. So let's let's for listeners who don't know what the RCA is, why don't you first of all, explain your role in the RCA, how you got involved and, and what you do and, and what is the RCA? Well, I think I'd rather work it backwards because then it, it gives the umbrella. So, um, so basically it was formed in 62 years ago. It's a nonprofit grassroots organization. And it was a response back to the American Amateur Union because it had all these rules like women can run, for example, kids can run. And so it, it was formed to just promote long distance running. And, and so a lot of clubs... <laughs> It's the parent organization. A lot of clubs, events join for the insurance. And that's that's great. You know, you put in. And so because we want to help clubs, you know, in case something happens, races to go. And that's usually a requirement to, you know, for permits to have insurance. But there's other um, services that people may not know about the RCA. There's coaching certification, race director certification. Uh, we got grants to children, youth programs as well. We got runner-friendly communities where we recognize communities that have really uh, promoted making running friendly in their communities. Uh, we got resources for running clubs, how to run running clubs. Uh, we have uh, resources for kids running as well. And so there's a variety of services. Go to rrca.org um, just to find out if you want to find an event 
as well. Again, we're nonprofit. Um, the national office, there's only five people. So I'm, when people think national office, they think of 10 people. So there's not. I mean, it's great what they do. Of course, it's limiting as well. How I got into it, um, I sort of fell into, it. again, a little interesting story. Um, I'm with the Dolphin South End Running Club. And of course, back in the 19, mid-1990s, um, I was into triathlons. And so I did the escape from Alcatraz, where you swim from Alcatraz. By, I've always by, wanted to do that. I'm a triathlete. I've always, I've watched the video. I've watched, I love, I love that's it, it, but it looks, it looks so scary to me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, no, I I swam from Alcatraz over 125 times, and it's it's not too bad. You, if you come over and do an Alcatraz swim, we could talk offline. Uh, well, I'm with the South End Rowing Club, and they put in the Alcatraz Invitational uh, in September. Hopefully, in 2022 or maybe this year. You you know when you come down, let me know. I will be glad to, to tell you. You know you got to do one. On my bucket so, list. So Lisa. we. Were, Lisa, I'll crew for you and I'll like row a boat okay. next to you. Okay. Just in case I start drowning. <laughs> so, so, so we bike across the Golden Gate Bridge and of course, um, double dipsy, of course, then they changed to Marin Hanlon's. And so um, for my first date with my girlfriend, who later became my wife, I took her to my triathlon because I just want her to support you know, say, this is who I am. So the following year, you know, I wanted to propose. So I went to the race director, Joe Oaks at the time and said, hey, I want to propose to my girlfriend on stage. So, and so I did, we, we obviously she said yes on stage the following year. Uh, I was a little worried. I was a little dehydrated on the run. I thought I would never make it to the finish line, but I did. Uh, we've been married uh, since 1995. And so a couple of years later, Joe Oaks, um, he was friends with, so basically for the board, there's like uh, the president, treasurer, there's three at large directors and there's regional directors. And what the regional directors do, they meet, they oversee the state representatives, like think of them as ambassadors. And so the Western regional director needed somebody um, in California, uh, the central region, because there's so many running clubs in the Bay Area. And so Joe say, hey, there's looking somebody, I guess I had made an impression on him with that. So Joe and I have made good friends and I helped race direct when, he came up with his own events, Alcatraz Challenge, which was just a swim run. And so, so I interviewed, um, I got it. And so I met the running clubs. Uh, I became, I got awarded Outstanding State Representative of the Year uh, the following year. And then I stepped down, you know, after a few years and then let somebody else have a chance. And then a few years later, a lot of four running clubs wanted to host the RCA National Convention. Every year, the RCA has a national convention somewhere around the country. In fact, next month, it's in Orlando. It's, it's safe. I just met with the executive director. Um, and so, so basically, it was so I became so the previous state rep didn't want to take on the task, stepped down. So I stepped back in. We led the convention. It was a, very, a big hit. Uh, sort of was used for standard for other conventions going forward. And of course, down the road, uh, again, I joined it. And then I, I was awarded outstanding state representative again, which I'm the only state rep to won it twice. And so uh, again, it's just very passionate about running the running community. And then of course, I was asked to go be on the board as Western region director. So now expanded my visits throughout the Western part. Um, on the board, then uh, a couple of years ago, I got appointed vice president. And then, of course, last year, um, 
I got elected president. I think the first president elected electronically because the convention was canceled like uh, like less than two weeks because of the pandemic it was supposed to be in Portland, Oregon. And so, um, yeah, I am the pandemic RCA president. <laughs> and that's that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> we just wanted to take a quick break to give a shout out to our newest sponsor, UFOs. If you're a longtime listener, you know that UFO shoes are an integral part of our recovery. And we've been wearing their new boots all winter long. UFOs are the original recovery footwear brand, helping to reduce load and stress so your body can rebuild throughout the day. Often, the aches and pains we're feeling in our feet, ankles, knees, and even our hips can be due to not wearing supportive shoes. We wear our supportive running shoes when we're running, but what do we wear when we're not running? UFOs reduce shock impact on the body by 37%, making it easier for your body to recover faster. Stay tuned to our podcast and social media channels this month for a chance to win a pair of UFOs and check them out now on their website at UFOs, O-O-F-O-S.com. Well, that's incredible. And that's an incredible journey. And I, I just want to go back a little bit. I was reading a little bit about your running club that you were initially involved in that, of course, they allowed you to propose to your wife. I love that story on the stage. Um, and that club was formed also as a result of the AAU not allowing women to be included in running. So I think it's really cool that your sort of trajectory from being a local ambassador to running to now a national ambassador has always had the theme of inclusion. And, and we know that's something that's very important to you. And of course, the year of 2020 has been such a shit show. And so in addition to, of course, the pandemic, soon after you were elected president, um, the murder of Ahmad Arbery occurred. And suddenly the um, conversation about inclusion and diversity in running came to the forefront and safety, of course. So you wrote something um, for the RCA and you've done a lot of work that I'm sure it was already your intention, but it was really brought to the forefront. So I want to shift gears for a minute and just talk to you a little bit about what you personally have done, what your passion is around that, and what the RRCA is continuing to do to promote diversity, inclusion, equity, and safety in running. Yeah, thanks, Julie. It's an important question. I'll be honest. Um, if it wasn't for the pandemic and the murder of Maude Arbery, it was, it was going to be a little later on. You know, first president, it's like you want to take things, you know, slowly first year. Of course, obviously, the murder of Maude Arbery came out like in May. So the first priority was obviously with the pandemic, uh, pivoting to that supporting um, executive director, Gene Connect. So just quickly with my role, as president of the board, it's more governance, setting the policy. I don't do the day-to-day -day operations. That's Gene, executive director Gene Connect. But we, you know, we worked closely together to say, hey, here's the policy. Of course, my job was supporting her because they had to obviously pivot. Um, like coaching, for example, went to virtual and so forth. But then when the murder of Maude Arbery came out, just seeing the video, it was, it was shocking and terrifying. And my view is as president, I represent the entire running community. And so I had, and then I think another thing that came out and actually we have the award winners is to sit zero, um, Alison Desir article, uh, Maude Arbery in the Whiteness of Running in Outside Magazine. She got awarded excellent journalism because it's such a pivotal. I read her article too and 
it was like, it was very eye-opening. I think the thing is living in the San Francisco Bay Area, I, I'm half Asian. Um, and of course, I remember that growing up, I would get like the word flip. It's like the equivalent N-word for Filipinos and so forth. But over time, you know, the Bay Area got more diverse. And it's like, I've been living in a bubble where I work at 70% diverse. And so it's, I'm, I'm a, where I work is like a racist worst nightmare. It's like, it, it is, you know, it's a wonderful place where I'm working at wonderful world. Um, so, so what I had to do is like, I need to find out more. Um, and so I talked to Tony Reed, co-founder and executive director for National Black Marathoners Association. And he told me stories like just running and people throw things, call him the N-word. I talked to our uh, state representatives who were black and they told me stories too. I know uh, Jackie, who's our Southern California, she, she would post on her Facebook, you know, like how, you know, run someplace new, a little worried about that too. And, and so it's like, this has got to stop. And it's like running, it's like, I think we can all agree. It's like running is liberating and all, all that. And to have a group of runners based on the color skin and also for their gender identity too, it's like, um, LGBTQ and for all people of color, it's like, we have to fight. We have to make the sport going. And 20 in the 1970s, you're right with my running club, Dolphin South End Running Club, Walt Stack formed it with women. And so like RSA was played a pivotal role in supporting women's running. And, you know, if we look at, you know, the 1984 Olympics where Joan Benoit won, I think, and so I sort of see it like that. It's like, again, empowering all runners. And so we empowered women back then. We need to empower BIPOC, B, P, Black, Indigenous, people of color, and LGBTQ plus people as well. Um, and so that's the goal. And I wrote this article. Um, the board, grateful, the national office, they agree. And that's our new mission. And so one of the things we did is we then met with different folks, uh, diverse folks, you know, like around Zoom virtual conference working group, you might say, we want to hear from you. We didn't want to say anything. And to be honest, um, maybe as a board member before I became president, I should have brought it up. But again, it's like living in a bubble. And so we heard from them. Um, you know, was, was it discomfort? Yes. But you know what, for what runner, black runners face, you know, something that's liberated where they have to worry about their safety, you know, that's the least of my worries. And so, so then we looked at our bylaws and see if there was systematic racism in it. And so we made the changes to support uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI. Um, and also the pandemic has brought, realized too, like we had to update. So we spent the entire time really looking at where there might be barriers on our bylaws. We also looked at obviously representation on website, changing that. In fact, we are hopefully to process of like changing the computer systems and really updating the website to address that more. Looking at um, like programs, coaching, you know, adding like uh, bias training, you might say as well. And hopefully at the convention next month that the membership will ratify the new bylaws on that. Um, it is on rca.org website to look at the new bylaws that we're proposing as well. We also, one of the biggest changes too is how we recruit 
members for the board as well. And so it used to be people throw their hat in the ring. And so now uh, the committee is going to be more active in looking for around the country, not just folks who come, usually people who come through the board through the state reps and they're great people too. But I think, again, I, my viewpoint is like, we sometimes, we need to look outside the RSA bubble as well on that one. Now going forward, it's like, making that actionable items. I know like RCA is teamed up with runner, running, Runners Industry Diversity Coalition. And of course, going back to actionable items, it's like, what is it gonna look like? What if um, somebody experiences racism at a race, running club? How can we act on that? Um, that's And that's that's a challenge and it's gonna be a marathon and it's gonna be, we're still going to be working on it even after my term ends in, you know, my tenure ends in a few years time as well. And, but, but we're on the pathway. I think that's um, really an interesting, um, you know, just the exercise that you've gone through and looking at the bylaws and looking at systemically how, um, you know, the RCA as a club can, 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 be more diverse and in inclusive um, is, is actually something that reaches across a lot of sports. We're facing this now in our, um, you know, I'm involved in my kids cycling club and it's a, you know, it's obviously it's a big issue and I'm on the board and we're talking about how do we look at the bylaws and how do we look at our, our policies? We're also with governance and policy. We're not the day to day, but how do we structure our governance yes. and policy yeah. so that it, we are more diverse and inclusive um, sport and, and, and club. So I think that's um, really, and the sticking point then does come to, you know, if you put that in your mission how do you make it happen and what are the things that you do and i um so i'm interested to hear a little bit more about some of the some of the things that you think um that we can do as as coaches and clubs like um you know have, have things come out in these in your working group that that coaches and clubs can do um to become more inherently because we all want the, you know i think as a as a you know policy we all want to be inclusive but then how do we make it happen it's, it's going to be a process. Again, it's like, uh, think of it like a marathon, basically. I think, yes, we so want it like a magic wand. I think, and I think the key thing is representation matters. So uh, what we've done in the RCA end is like with Black Girls Run, they've done a couple of cohorts with their coaching clinic online. Another one with uh, Black Runners to um, the South with the Civil Rights Series um, as well. So reaching out to people is a key thing, I would say. I think with going back to the question about coaches, I think one of the stories I've heard is people of color, they go to you know, a coach, they look somebody up and like the attitude they get is like, there's, um, there's like a bias, unconscious, unfortunately in society, there's biases, you know, about what people's capabilities are. Again, representation, oh, black people, quote unquote, can't run long distance, for example, I think. And, and so then it sets, and then of course, people pick the vibe, you know, they pick up that vibe and why bother? And I think, I think what coaches need to realize if somebody comes to you, they're making the effort to come to you, they sought you out, they put in the energy, they are taking a risk too. It's like, I think people of color, especially, black runners, they have experienced racism. I mean, they worry about their safety. And of course it adds up like here with my students with mental health issues, it's like, 
the anxiety, it builds up. It's not like, oh, one day they're anxious and get over it. That's not the case. It's like it builds up and feed on it. And so I would say for coaches, it's like be open, talk with them, or even to running clubs. When somebody comes, no matter who they are, it's like get to know them, be with them. Uh, it's like it's like don't make assumptions. I think what you have to be if if you're thinking like this person can't run, why are you having this bias? Like, where's it going to come from? And I'll be honest. It's like my early days as teachers is like um, I had different attitudes towards different types of students. And I'm glad with the trainings that school districts provide is like, I realized it's like, I got to check, you know, be aware of my biases. Where's it coming from? And I think that's the thing too. And I think uh, one of the things with the coaching clinic is updating is like, you know, really with the biases as well. And not just people of color. I've also heard from runners of different sizes um, as well. Again, we get back to like, we all have our own goal. And I think we got to keep that in mind. Hey, this person sought you out. They made the effort. They are investing in you. Um, now, the thing is what coaches can do is like, like be very clear, like what type of coaches. Like if you're coaching Olympians, potential Olympians, be very clear on that. And then maybe say, you know what, this is the goal here, you know, give and try um, and say, but you know, here's these other coaches as well that might serve as you need as well. And of course for runners, uh, the beauty is you can look up a coach to do look at the references. You know, you could do reviews as well, email them. Usually they could provide a, like a free, you know, session as well to do that because obviously they want the business as well. So I think, you know, runners do check, check that out. Uh, again, rca.org, you find a coach on there. I think one of the challenges, I mean, everyone has the best of intentions and I think yes. it's, like you said, it's a marathon. The RCA is a huge organization and there are coaches from all around the country and there's no barrier to entry to take a coaching certification course. So you have a lot of different personalities and different different areas of the country and, and different biases. So education is important, but at the same time, is, is there any sort of um, upcoming thought or conversation with respect to having coaches um, commit or sign something where they promise that they will be inclusive? Because even just this week, um, I was horrified on the RRCA um, Facebook group page, which is really one of the only means to communicate with other coaches. It's a huge yes. page comprised of you know, thousands of coaches around the country. And if you have a quick question about something going on with one of your runners, it's a great place and, and it should be a safe space to pose a question. And Tony Reed, who you mentioned earlier, who is the president of the National Black Marathoners Association, um, had a wonderful piece on CNN this week yes. about how he feels as mm -hmm. a black runner and, and yeah. the institutional racism that black runners often face. And a runner commented on this page, again, this is a coach, a leader in his community about yes. how he doesn't feel safe as a white runner. And it was horrifying. And, you know, on a positive note, it was great to see how quickly every coach came to his, um, to Tony Reed's defense and, and immediately yes. reported this comment, but it got me thinking and, you know, we can't control what these supposed leaders slash coaches are doing in their respective communities. So is that a conversation that the RCA is having on how to how to rein that in? Yeah. So first thing, um, there is a code of ethics that the coaches do sign. And so uh, right now, I'm very aware of 
that particular RC, that Facebook incident and on the, the board is aware of it as well. And so the national office is taking care of it. Obviously that person is uh, banned and, you know, needs to ask permission. And on the other end is uh, we are looking at as a board too, to see what can we could do actionable as well. And so we are dealing with the situation. It has no place. I totally agree with it. And when I looked at it, it's like, oh, OMG, it's like, okay, this is unbelievable because it doesn't reflect on the RRC as well. And I think, uh, I think the thing too is like, RRCA certified coaches, you're like in a way representing the RRCA and like where it's our mission is to empower all runners. If there's a comment like that, then it's like, again, you're promoting a image of a negative image of a group of people and that's not acceptable. So yeah, we're looking more at it, um, at coaching. And so we're going to, again, we're moving the process to make two actionable items on that. I'm glad you're in charge. I think, I think like, it's just very serendipitous that this year of all years, the RRCA president happens to be someone whose passion already was diversity inclusion. And I'm glad you're leaving the helm. Well, thank you. Thank you, Julie. But I got to give credit and a shout out to executive Jean connect um, because uh, obviously she and head coach, um, Randy has said, uh, you know, they, they dealt with it first. They're like on the front lines, they do the day-to-day operations then. But yes, as president, I do set the policy with, with along with agreement with the board. And um, I'm, I guess in some ways I'm glad I'm, I'm here because I think just seeing, I think being, you know, where I am, my experiences growing up, I could see both perspectives and like, because I'm half white too, I sort of could see like things from one point of view and from my, you know, living in the, the white world and of course like living in Asian as well and just seeing both sides and seeing um, like, why, why are people thinking that? Why, why is that? It's like, I, it's like, there's no reason to, it's like, I, I would say it's like, I think one of my biggest suggestions was be, put yourself in that person's shoes. And it's like, it's not, it's like, I think early on, it's like, as a young teacher, like I would say, get over it. And I realized that was wrong. And again, I think, especially for my populations, put yourself in that person's shoes. You lace up somebody or like somebody calls you a word, harasses you, for example, it's like, then you get that little worry, like, you know, it's like, is it going to happen to me again? And the anxiety builds up on that. And so um, I think, again, it's like, it's real. It's like, unfortunately, racism real. People might say, uh, like, hey, it's sports. You shouldn't. But you know what? Sports is part of our life. And so we do have to do something. On a happier note, what are the positive changes that you've seen kind of take place this year when the, through this conversation and these changes? What, what do you, what, what's the progress that you've seen? Um, I've seen, actually, I work with Running Club, Running Club. They asked me to moderate a discussion with its club members via Zoom about, hey, we want to see if there's people have experienced, members have experienced issues on that. And so it was, it was, it was discomforting. I think the first time I was like, but somebody did spoke up and I appreciate the board 
you know, making the effort. I think they're having that discussion. I think some clubs are looking at like, okay, who are we as a result? How are we going back? You know, when we reach out, like maybe we should have like ambassadors or something like that. So I think the bigger thing too, I think there's more discussion that's happening as well. I think there's more articles. I think like um, it was great that like the CNN with Tony Reid article, it's like, I think it's, it's out there. I think, and people are being, there's more voice to it. I think that's a key thing as well. Uh, I think people, I think there was another situation, for example, um, I was talking with black girls and run in Central Valley, California. And one of the members relayed how like a person went into running shoe store you know, wanted to start running, wanted to get the best shoes. And of course the clerk said, Hey, are you sure you could afford this? You know, this was, a, and so person felt disheartened again. It's like another sting. It's like, it's like, and so she talked with a friend and said, Hey, when you talk to the manager. And so she did the manager took action, you know, trained the staff, became a big supporter of um, that gr group, you know, and um, really, and wasn't like, oh, here's something free. No, really made concrete changes on that. And so I think hopefully for, I think, for, I guess my point is I'm like, people should need to speak up. I think, I think I wouldn't say, don't put people on blast, give somebody a chance because there's a lot of unconscious bias as well. I mean, it's so, I think when we talk about systematic racism, it's not like people wearing white sheets, swastika. It's sort of like our attitudes that, we may not be aware of because we sort of been trained this way. And I think we got to go back in history. Um, why was it like, unfortunately our country, a big part of it was the slavery legacy. And of course you think about also what Nazis did with Jews is like to make it acceptable to put down a group of people to enslave, to hurt, you have to dehumanize. And fortunately a lot of the images, you know, even though slavery was banned, you had Jim Crow laws. And so like, again, you have all this, yes, slavery, we got equal rights, but unfortunately the biases still remain. And so we need to be very aware of it, but I think we need to have conversations as well and i think we all need to listen and again put each other in each other's shoe you know what what are they going through i love also the story you shared um a moment ago about the running store and the employee i think what's key is the employee wasn't fired the employee was was taught um what happened you know how to improve and how how to understand that bias and what he or she did um, I think one of the problems is the fear. And if I make a mistake, am I going to be fired? And if, if we can put it, like you said, put ourselves in each other's shoes and be more understanding and forgiving and, and educate rather than punish, I think that's also a step forward to allowing people to be more open to changing their perceptions. I totally agree, Julian. Just to let you know, too, at the RCA website, there is information like for running clubs, I mean, races, how to be more inclusive as well. And I think the other thing too is like, when I say inclusive, it's not just representation. I'm not, we have to make sure we're not getting into tokenism. I think it's like a seat at the table to hear their voices, perspectives uh, on that as well. Um, and I think that's a key thing. It's just hearing each other out. I think unfortunately where things have gotten so partisan, politicized, I think just hear each other out. 
I mean, and, and, and just, you know, just listen, don't respond right away. Just listen. I think when we did our working groups, we just listened. We didn't need to respond. If we did, it's like um, active listening. Just, hey, this, I, I understand this is what you're saying. Love it. I think we all can do more listening, especially these days. It's been just such a charged time and there's been just a whirlwind of change and hmm. hopefully a product of that will be positive change. But in the meantime, we're still here in 2021. Um, running has not changed this year yet that much. I think we all hoped that once 2021 hit, we could snap our fingers and things would gradually return to normal, but we're still here in this pandemic. And while a vaccine is on the way um, and people are getting shots in their arms, it's, it's a slow, it's, it's a slow go. And to that end, as someone with some extensive racing experience, can you give us your expert opinion on how and when you think races will return? It's, it's, we're the day after the BAA announced yet another virtual opportunity for Boston and I think people are really wondering, is that a sign of things to come for the fall? And what are your thoughts with respect to races? Well, there are races taking place through the country, particularly in the Southeast. Um, basically, um, they're small races, they're trail races. So they, I think those are the races that are gonna come out first, um, especially through the rest of the country, which have more restrictive. I think the races that have been held they have done an excellent job of really being mindful because I, they are aware that if something should happen, then a lot of races are going to be shut down. And also runners too have been very responsible. In fact, uh, like, like the races I'd done before we went into complete lockdown, it's like the runners were like socially distanced. Most of them were wearing, you know, gaiters and masks as well. And I think they understand too, it's like, if there's a, a, if a race has become known as a super spread race, all the races are going to be shut down. They're not going to F this up. And so I think, I think for the most part, people are going to be responsible. So with regards, I think it's more like the big races. That's the issue. I mean, there's talk. I mean, as long as a fall of this year is hopefully for the big races, course we have to see i guess race against time with the variants and the vaccines as well and um and so that's the best answer right now but i think in some ways i sometimes see opportunity it's like looking at the folks that are surviving are like the, the running clubs the community races and i think for runners it's like yeah it's great to do the big races chicago boston and so forth but you know, maybe su support the community races too. It's like, you'll be pleasantly surprised and try something new. If you got that racing bug, you know, maybe try a trail race as well. And so um, that's, uh, that's the best answer we could tell you at this point. And we're always monitoring it. So I, that's what we're hoping for, fall of this year for the big races. Do you think that um, with respect to the smaller races, I mean, we've been sending our runners to smaller races basically since last spring. They exist. They're harder to find in certain areas, but we haven't personally heard of anyone contracting COVID as a result of running these smaller races. Like you said, they're doing a great job. Do you think that there needs to be more of like a, a, um, 
a group or like for lack of a better word, a lobbying sort of group that is out there advocating for the return of racing. Um, we see with other sports, there's kind of an organized advocacy going on with respect to that. And do you think that the running community needs that? Or do you feel that we're doing okay with respect to returning to racing? I think it's it's a patchwork because each state is very different. Like in some of the southern states, it's like, uh, like we trust you to to do that. And right now that's fine. I know in my area, my home club, Dolphin South End Running Club, I talked to the president. He's going to be talking to the county officials about advocating for races. I think nationally, or say we put the information out there for clubs. I think one of the things is what clubs can do to lobby. I think that's a good ideal. And I think I think I would say for each running club, and of course, I know a lot of them are volunteers, is find out what the situation is, lobby for um, at, at the local level on that. I would say like, it's good that in the Bay Area, like cross country kids, uh, I'll be honest, I would prefer like lobby first for the kids, you know, to get back into sports. I think we're adults, we can hang there, but I think lobby for the kids first. And then you can say, hey, if kids can do it, the adults can do it too, okay? And so, um, so I had to add that in because again, as a teacher, it's like, I am concerned about kids. And I think sports is a good outland cross country running again, accessible for everybody. It's, it's, it's a safe ev event as well. So I would say to running clubs is to find out at your local level, ask, you know, be prepared for the no. I tell that to my students is like, be prepared for the no. And, but then ask, it's like, what can, what, what, what do we need to wait for? And be respectful of it because they're overwhelmed because there are other competing interests as, as well. George, has the RCA provided any guidance to, to clubs on how to put on races safely? Is there a like protocols or are giving guidance to the clubs on how to do that? Yes, yes, there is. Um, in fact, if you go to the home page, there is. And actually, l last year with the Chicago area running clubs, they the RCA worked with them to look at guidelines. And so, there. In, in fact, Chicago has put on like safe group runs as well and so it's a, it's a good model it's very detailed on that and so yes and so we're fine i think one thing too with being a parent organization there's a lot of resources we could go out to different clubs and see what's working there's a lot of models but definitely do check out the home page for the rca on that and you'll see it right at the very top and, and we know you're injured now and you're, you're not racing, but um, would you feel safe racing if you were, if, you know, if you were as a runner or, you know, your daughters, if they wanted to go to do a race, would you feel safe racing? I would feel safe. I would, I would say with the caveat, it's like, I would make sure, I think as a race, a race should put what information they are doing to keep things safe. It's like, what are the steps with the protocols, I think that would be the key thing I'm looking at first. Obviously, I would look at reputation. I would definitely do a lot of local races and a lot of the local races I've done. Um, I know they're safe uh, because, you know, I feel like, you know, they really care for the runner. And so I know they'll take the extra step. And I think, I think for folks too, is be patient with them um, because putting up, being a race director myself and meeting with race directors it for most of them, it's a love of passion 
a lot of time in it. And of course, putting in all these precautions, it takes an extra chunk of time and resources as well. So don't be surprised. It's like you have to pay a little bit more as well, because again, they're buying extra supplies. So I think, again, put yourself in your shoes. It's like, you know, be mindful. It's like race directors do want to put on races, but be patient uh, with them too. And it's like, you know, give them a chance. Don't put them on blast right now. You know, maybe email them afterwards. Say, hey, this is what you can improve as well. Or say, you know what, volunteer. See it from their end as well. And so, yeah, going back, I, I would feel confident. But then with the caveat, it's like, do your research first. And, you know, buyer, be aware. Because I know before the pandemic, there were some folks that were putting on races and supposedly, and then they would shut down, take their money as that. So with runners, you know, you know, do your research first. Absolutely. Buyer beware. We, we are familiar with some race organizations that have failed us in the past. And um, if anything, the pandemic is illuminating those race organizations that are able to remain strong through this and, and people are carefully checking protocol. So hopefully a positive outcome of this um, 2020-2021 experience in racing is that people will be more careful when signing up for races to understand that the responsibility is also on us as runners yes. to look at race information before registering. So before we um, close out, we just first of all want to thank you so much for your time. And you are such a renaissance man with so many talents. And given your experience in running, teaching, and mental health, we just want to close this out and ask you what advice you have for those who are struggling right now and feel like they're almost at the end of this marathon, but just have a little bit more to go. What would you say to our listeners out there? Well, I sometimes think when there's a setback, I mean, it sucks. Let's be honest. It's like to acknowledge it, use it as an opportunity for something else. Like when I've been injured, it's like, oh, give me a chance to read more books, for example, or let me try a different challenge. So it's like, you know, let me hike or like I'm doing more swimming now, just checking out different parts of the bay. So I say, you know, I have Try a different opportunity. Challenge yourself to a different way. In some ways, <clears throat> you'll be maybe stronger physically, giving yourself a break from running. Mentally, too, you'll be hungry and be ready to um, get back into it. But I think it's a nice change for you and, and take it as a different opportunity. But I, I would say, but if you're still struggling, I think talking with people is fine. And I think for if you, other people be an ally. It's like just listen to them, support them. What they're going through. It's a, it's it's a struggle. I'll be honest. I was like when I was teaching remotely. It was like it was frustrating. Yeah, it was nice to be at home, but it's like it's like with a teacher. It's like you have to be there with the kids to read the body language. And lucky my wife's a teacher too, and so we're able to commiserate with each other and so share each other out. Um, be, but the main thing is be safe because you don't want to pass on or get a virus, the virus, and regret it and then feel guilty. That's a bigger thing, too. You just got to hang in there. Again, it's like a marathon training. You just have to be patient. Uh, it's like, you know what? It took me eight years to break three hours. So it's like I could wait a little bit longer. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Just, just be responsible be patient. And um, yes, there are small races you may not got in, but they're slowly coming up as well. 
So um, and again, go to rca.org. You might find some races that are available as, as well. Thank you so much, George. And we'll put all the information for RCA on our in our show notes. But we really appreciate your perspective, not only as an RCA leader, but also as as a teacher, as a as an educator, as as a runner. Um, you really have given us a, a great um, great advice that's going to help. I think personally get us through these last few months. Um, putting ourselves in each other's shoes, which is just you know really that um, empathy and compassion and having grace for each other. And, and, and looking at setbacks as opportunities. And those are all lessons that we can apply to our running, but also um, just life in general. So we really appreciate your time. And we know that you now have to go teach a busy day of school. So we won't keep you longer, but thank you so much. And we look forward to hopefully seeing you at a convention one day when we are all back together. Well, thanks, Lisa and Julie. And I know being that the RSA national office is in the Washington, D.C. area, I'd love to come out, uh, run. If COVID's still there, we could do it socially distanced. Yeah, well. come on with us. Uh, I'll let you know that if I'm ever in the area um, as well. And hopefully you'll have me again, maybe in a couple, you know, down the road to see how are things going now, you know, pandemic DEI issues as well. And so it's been fun talking with you, um, audience. If you need to reach out, I'm at president at rrca.org. And again, sorry, just have to promote it. Um, rrca.org for information. You know, if you want to know what's happening with the pandemic DEI issues as well. And for running clubs, the information's out there to look at, but again, be mindful of state and local requirements as to as well. And um, yep, I see some student, a student knocking at my door, so I'll need to take off. But again, it's been a pleasure being on your show and I wish you guys uh, much success from your end. Thanks Thank so much, George. Have a good day. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant, and if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.